welcome to Top Tube, a cycling podcast that brings together the joy of amateur riding with pro peloton opinion. Joining me this week, as ever, are the Thomas de Tankingen. It's for my Thomas de Gent, Mr. David Quainton. Choo choo. Hello, David. Hi. Um, and the oh, <laughs> and the and the manky old bib shorts to my Manx missile, Stephen Balby. Steve, you're joining us from where are you? Um, well, I'm delighted to be described as a pair of manky bib shorts, and that's not so far from the truth, because I, um, I don't know if, I, I, if I'm allowed to draw a line of causality between manky bib shorts and Flanders, but that's where I am this week, so apologies for any uh, difference in the sound levels, perhaps there'll even be an improvement, I don't know. I've been following some, some of the races out in Flanders this week. Some. Jolly exciting. Which, which ones? Which well, ones I came out to see, uh, obviously, Ghent Vevergum, and, and today I've just seen the Dwarves of Vlanderen. Which part me- of the course were you on? Um, well, there was cob- yeah. there was, I chose uh, one of the uh, slower parts uh, with one of the more cobbly sections. Um, I was so inspired by my own um, uh, exhortation to go and see some of these cobble races last week, I just took myself off. Um, I've managed not to um, cause any crashes so far by looking at the racing my um camera but i have got some good pictures so are you are you taking out parts of the gutter oh very much so yes yeah, yeah. That's, that's that's the place for your manky bib shorts yeah. <laughs> um, well oh yeah because the smell the smell is um is pungent actually so uh, of, of uh, like the, the ditch the other people and the riders so my manky bib shorts fit right in Fortunately, we're, we're, we're audio only. Um, that's that that stops me from having to ask Steve what what he's been doing this week. But what have you been doing this week, David? I've actually I was discussing with some other people. Ah, oh. well, I know there are other people in my life. <laughs> Who knew? Um, not many though, so don't worry about it. Um, I was discussing what makes uh, the perfect holiday. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Well, what does make the perfect holiday? Um, is it remembering to introduce yourself? Is it remembering to introduce yourself? Every week. We're, we're going we're gonna to crash on with it. Though. Well, yeah. we managed to start this week without a scripted outtake. So that's, that was jolly good. Well, let's let's yeah, proceed yeah. on this basis of newly found professionals. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Got it first time, definitely. Yeah. Well done. Nailed it. Right. Yeah. Um, holiday. Well, and so... You Presumably know, that, that includes a bicycle. Well, people were suggesting various things. And uh, I we concluded um, that uh, you can't really have um the perfect holiday without thomas de Ghent because obviously there is no oh, break without thomas de Ghent. Uh, this is where it's going <laughs> yeah. i thought you were going to talk about the 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 scott the the jock with the the kitten on the bicycle that's been doing the rounds on the dodo this week well i mean which is rather wonderful lovely isn't it uh, i don't know if um you saw this as well Stephen. uh there was Doing the rounds on social media, there's um, this story of a, of a, a Scottish guy who is travelling quite slowly around the world because he's having to stop and, and work at various places. Uh, but he's on a bicycle and he's got all his panniers and bits and bobs on there. But on his travels, stumbled across a kitten. I think he was in Montenegro. Ah, oh, right. I think. Which is a lovely place to cycle. You need to go to Montenegro. I've been, but I've never cycled there. It's, it's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. Well, oh, yeah, yeah, look, yeah. yeah. Sensational coastline. Um, and uh, stumbled across a kitten and befriended it and took it with him. And it's now become you know, part of his travels and uh, people well, have yeah, fallen in love with it. Yeah, almost more than that. It's sort of become his raison d'etre. It's, yeah. it's become his reason to travel. Yeah. Um, uh, so we'll try and get him on the show. And we'll also try actually, and try he was rather wonderful. Yeah. And we'll also try and make sure that um, any of our travels in the future, we pick up animals along the way. Pick up animals and, uh, and care for them. Because yes, he's, had, to, he's had to get a pet passport for it, hasn't he? Yes, you've got a pet passport. Mm-hmm. You, you've got her, I should say. You met quite a few um, animals uh, ride, when you did that long ride along the A4. Is that most of them were dead? <laughs> yeah, long, long, long dead. Roadkill does not make good pets, but there's plenty of roadkill on the A4. good podcasting. Yeah, no, all good podcasting. No, not good pets or good travelling companions. Quite the opposite, really. Um, how, how I will say that I was touched mainly by this chap um, in terms of, uh, <laughs> oh no, unfortunate turn of phrase. I'm going to press right on though. Uh, I was touched emotionally by this this chap's story of of the kitten or the growing. I think was it a kitten? It, he'd had yeah. he's had it for a while now, so it must be growing yeah. with him. Um, had become ill because he had been uh, cycling in the rain. rain. 
Yes, and, and he had to take three weeks out of his trip to nurse her back to health. Yeah, so booked hospital, stopped his trip, and now he's now he's, his uh, his feeling is doesn't matter how long it takes. Whereas before he was sort of getting through each country as quickly as possible and and pushing on. Whereas now it's a case of look, doesn't matter. Got Nula, I think Nula was the name of his kitten. Uh, and then so the the trip, in his words, is based around her. Well, I mean, I think this tells a story, really, that, um, you know, there's a, there's, it's revealing a huge dichotomy between cyclists, rock hard, but also soft hearted and motorists who just create roadkill. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm on board with that. Um, there's also something in it, I think, that um, there's a, that's a long way to go on your own. And you have to be a certain mm. type of character to do it. And actually just having that little bit of companionship would be really important. Yeah, if it's just a, maybe two two souls looking for companionship yeah, yeah, yeah exactly uh so like we say we'll, we'll try and get him on um soon should we steve with you being out in flanders should we talk about this week's races the, the races we've seen so far should we start i think it's, it's as good a place to start as any shall we start with Ghent wevelgem uh why not one by alexander christoph in a sort of slow motion headwind sprint yeah who I- saw that coming not i from a from a large pack as well mm. what was what was interesting about that is about maybe 20 kilometers earlier he'd he maybe less than that he'd broken away from the main peloton to try and bridge across to um peter sagan's group who'd been ahead for some 60 70 kilometers and it seemed like it was a, a fool's errand really and, and he was on a hiding to nothing because uh, to use as many cliches as i can um he uh, <laughs> one after the other yeah, well. avoid cliches like the plague um, well, you've you've mixed some metaphors there for sure. <laughs> uh, and um, so he went off on his own, and he struggled up um, one of the climbs, and and it is all well. He's he's doomed to failure, and recovered enough, and then won easily in the end. Actually, he was not really challenged, and there were some great sprinters in there, but all their legs were completely gone, and he really looked like the Christoph of old, who would have been um, considered, you know, a favourite for that race a few years ago. But certainly, um, I didn't see it coming. I don't think many people did, really, didn't they? Uh, Van der Poel and Nason um, looked great, as did Wout van Aert. We'll come back to Van der Poel, obviously, in, in a little while. So, yeah, Nason is the fascination for me there, because he was second at San Remo, second in the final stage of Paris-Nice. Yeah. So I feel for him a little bit. Yeah. And today, he's, he's, as we'll come he's to, almost, he also, he's almost got it. Maybe he's knocking on the door, isn't he? But you have to pay your dues uh, to, to pick up David's trend of um, mixing metaphors. Um, um, or been second. Yes, yeah, so I think he'll be pleased because this is nonetheless marks a huge step up for him. Degen Kolb or Nason? Uh, well, Nason, but obviously Degen Kolb has um, uh, got a lot to prove, I think. Um, I think a little bit to prove. He's been, he was in the final of Paris Roubaix last year, wasn't he? he won Paris, no, sorry, won Paris Roubaix two years ago after yeah. having come back from his that dreadful. Um, Smash up with a, a British tourist driving a car the wrong way in Mallorca while he's out on a training ride with Sunweb. It stopped him wanting to sprint, didn't it? He 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 got the fear while sprinting, and uh, it took a while for him to get over that. He actually so I think I actually think it's a little bit unfair to say Degen has got something to prove. I think he's still. Well, I think by his own, I you know, by his own high standards, essentially, can he get back um, to being one of those leading lights to these major races? <laughs> Yeah, fair. The the other really impressive ride again was uh, Luke Rowe, mm. who uh, you know bridged across to the the front group of four on his own. He had once it came back together close to the end. Once all the work had been done by um, De Kernick and uh, Jumbo Visma to to bring things back together, he again he had an attack off the front of of the peloton, um, which was doomed to failure, but still finished in the main group um it, he looked incredibly strong actually and he knew that he he wouldn't win a sprint so actually chapeau to him for that well, you talk about luke Rowe. um i'm not convinced to be honest because i mean my suspicions have been grown we talk about graham being overweight but i have never seen him and luke Rowe in the same room you've <laughs> <laughs> been waiting to drop that one of you <laughs> um I'm one thing i'm going to pick up on there one, actually that one apparently <laughs> but uh, well somewhere um, between two perhaps Oh yes, indeed. Go uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick up on something you said, David. There, mm. uh, in terms of being afraid to sprint, um, I can think of a few people in history, in cycling history, who have had a bad crash and have it's lost. They've lost their nerve because, as I think we can all imagine, nerve plays an incredibly 
important part in it. Um, Lauren uh, Jalabert, for example, was the top sprinter in the world until he had a, a terrible crash and then stopped being a sprinter altogether and transitioned into becoming a two-time king of the mountains winner. He did, he did all right. After it, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, you know, I'm going to ask a sort of bit of a, a puckish question here, perhaps. Um, how much, given Mark Cavendish's um, long history over the last couple of seasons with some terrible crashes, uh, how much do you think the fact that he's getting older, has children, um, is, is sort of envisaged a life after cycling is I, having a plane. So this is this is perhaps a little bit controversial. I believe, mm, I believe having kids, young kids, is is such it's so impactful on every part of your life that it's particularly when they're young in the first, so the first couple of years. I think being a, even though you're away a lot, I, I still think being that impacts you being a bicycle rider enormously, um, and particularly for a sprinter when you have to be you have to be sort of razor sharp if you're going to win a race you know whereas whereas for for the guys for whom it's just the case of getting through the race you, you're mostly going to be okay and you can do your turn and you can push when you're asked to push but being being super competitive and being able to do that like we've seen i mean you know cav was uh, extraordinary for for nearly well, for nearly ten years, from 2009 to 2016, for sure. Um, I think I think you see that with Adam, like Adam Blythe, for example. I'm, I'm sure him having had uh, baby twins recently has has had a huge impact on on him being able to train when he's at home. And it's not just obviously when you're away at the races, it's not. Uh, it doesn't impact on you in quite the same way. So, if you were a direct sportif, would you? No children. Well, yeah, would you? Would you? Would you? Would you pick people well, no, on that basis? You can't. Yeah, you can't. Uh, it's. I think. Anyway, it's. It's. It's a consideration. I think, and it's. Um, with Cav, I don't know. Maybe it's. It's a. It's a. The case of the two going together, like Greipel. They're very similar ages, aren't they? Greipel, that little bit older. Cav's thirty-four. He'd be thirty-four in May, will he? We. we you know, we talk, we talk about him a lot. It's odd that we're talking about him on this week's pod, to be honest, because he's not. He's not. He's, he's, he's been very absent, quiet. Yeah. yeah, very very quiet. So, uh, so the other race that was um... well on Luke Rowe, Dwarf mm. um, Van Vlanderen today. Yeah, he I oh, because that's, that's it's a sort of second tier classic, isn't it? And um, it's it's almost a warm up race for the the guys going for the Tour of Flanders this weekend. Well, that's why you saw uh, Wout van Aert wasn't involved in it. That's why Greg van Aert, Matt, Peter Sagan so saved themselves the weekend. Whereas, but Rowe, I would have I would have backed. Were I a betting man, were I making the calculation, yeah. or had we made the calculation for this week, um, I'd have back row to win it. Um, but he, did he finish sixth in the end? He did finish sixth, um, clearing sixth. Uh, he broke away from the pack at the end. Um, ultimately, it was a, a sprint of five, won by, you know, we've talked about a couple of young riders this year in, in Wout van Aert and obviously um, Remco Vanderpol. But it was won by the other one, uh, Matthew Vanderpol. So Incredible. how old is he? Just turned 24. Right, and he's come from what background last season? Uh, cyclocross. Right, well, um, well, that's uh, hugely impressive. Actually superseding then Wout Wernet in, in terms of uh, success from cycling cross. Obviously, coming from cyclocross to road is no... Um, he's not a pioneer in this respect, obviously. Um, so then Stebar is is a very good example of a world champion on in cyclocross who's who's well, you mentioned steve R. steve well oh yes well i'm assuming you're uh, referring to well let's face it i think we can all agree that i had as uh, as footballers would say a mare uh, <laughs> last last week and i crowned it crowned my crowning achievement was to explicitly dismiss steve R. steve R's, uh chances Another, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna move it on at this point. Hope that um, my uh, radar is is a bit better um, tuned. I just needed this 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 um, this uh, trip out, you know, to to recharge my uh, my batteries and to um, you know get back commune with the races. I, I feel like I've become too remote from it. Who's um, looked particularly good on the bike that's whizzing past you? What I will say is that there are some 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 riders that you can pick out immediately. I think um, it's obvious when Sagan's coming up, he looks fairly distinctive. What I, what I always felt about 
Jan Ulrich particularly, not to not to you know find a reason just to sound. That's yeah, I'd like you to bring Jan, Jan Ulrich <laughs> no, up. No. No but he seemed to be. I mean, he had the stature of a normal man off the bike, but on the bike he appeared to be head and shoulders above everyone else. You could always pick him out. He had a very distinctive look in on the bike, and as as does Sagan, of course, um, simply because he's ultimately a bit bigger built and more more strongly built than a lot of the other riders but um you know you see so much of these people on tv and it's easy to see them surprisingly easy to see them coming up actually so i could pick out most of them um once i've looked at the slow-mo afterwards there was a famous um incident um, in my history of of uh live cycling spectating when i was at dortmund um at the tour um, in 2017 and they were in the neutralized zone and I picked a spot on a corner where I knew the riders would be have to slow down to take this corner and it was as it was the neutral zone they were going very slowly anyway and I crouched down right on the corner and as they were coming past they banked over and I realized I'd miscalculated dreadfully and realized that I had to suddenly leap back um, to avoid essentially them hitting me um, and I took a few photos and it wasn't until I'd actually got home um, that I realised that one of the guys looking at me askance and, you know, with a, a fair degree of derision, I might add, was none other than uh, Chris Froome. So <laughs> it was it was a startling, <laughs> startling discovery. I had to take a photo of Chris Froome looking at me like I was a huge twat. Collector's item, isn't it? Yes, oh, well, indeed. Not. <laughs> Should we uh, stick that on Insta, David? What's our Insta address, David? Oh, well done. At yeah, Top Podcast on Instagram. At Top Two Podcast. And on Facebook. Actually, Chris Froome's a, a great, a, another seamless sake into uh, another race that finished at the weekend, which is obviously the Tour of Catalonia. He's um, a rider who is very distinctive um, on a bike, as is Dan Martin, I would say. You can always tell Dan Martin on a bike. He looks, it looks like his backbone pokes out more than everyone else's because he's so hunched like over the handlebars. Yeah, praying he's, mantis. Yeah, he's, he's like looks the least aerodynamic person on my bike. It seems like he's struggling like some old man and yet just like this diesel engine manages to do. He's, he's a, he doesn't look live on a bike, I'd say, Dan Martin. He's the least live person on a bike and yet, um, you know, is obviously a tremendous cyclist. Uh, anywho, Toro Catlin, Volta, Catalonia. Volta a Catalonia. Volta a Catalonia. Very so, exciting, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Tremendously exciting from start to finish. Something for everyone, in fact. We saw three amazing breaks, all, all of which stuck. Uh, so in the space of a week, uh, that's something a bit special. Obviously, um, Thomas de Ghent. I hate to mention him again without, <laughs> without a, a sort of horribly drawn-out story from David. Um, Max Schackman from Bora, Bora Hansgrohe, I should say, um, who actually came second um, to to De Ghent on the on the first stage, then launched his own on stage five and just about held it to the line, and then on the final stage, uh, Davide Formolo um, again from Bora. So quite the quite the the stage race for for Bora. Um, so quite a return to form for Formolo, who yeah. he managed to hold off concerted efforts from the entire peloton. Um, on a really it's difficult a really course. Uh, was the, the eight laps around Barcelona, wasn't yeah. it? So eight eight climbs. Um, so in that in that final stage, actually, the GC changed uh, changed hands um, almost with every pedal stroke. With Adam, Adam Yates uh, sort of launching a launching a kind of last ditch bid to to take the jersey um, with with his brother Simon working for him, and with uh, with Foxy Noxy working for him as well. Um, so the, the three, three Brits sort of Oxy, Oxy. off, off um, in, in sort of chasing Formolo. Um, but then the, the Colombians kind of got the, the chasing pack, chasing them, then got their act together. Uh, and um, sort of Bernal, Quintana and Lopez um, amongst them. So sort of the, the three uh, main men from Colombia. Um, and that's that's two of the podium as it finished. So, so Superman Lopez took it uh, by 14 seconds from Adam Yates. Third was Egan Bernal, um, whose early season form, I think we can all agree, has been um, particularly yeah. impressive. And Nairo Quintana, who was he took an awful lot of criticism early on because he pretty much shut down every attack and, and was just wheel was sucked. Kind of put, yeah, wheel sucked and just put a kind of damp towel over it every time uh, every time someone tried to ignite it on the climbs. 
Quintana would sort of kill it. Um, but he woke up towards the end of it, so so deserves a bit of credit there, actually. Um, and I'm very it's very it's very unlike Quintana to Wilsack, isn't it? Well, indeed. <laughs> but we, well, let's let's give him um, let's give him his 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 due because he's he's come on the podcast to talk to us. And we've got a, again, we've got a, yeah, yeah, we've got an interview with him now. He's always got something interesting to say, hasn't he? Yeah, here he is. Well, big thanks to Nairo for uh, being for as explaining, interesting yeah, as ever. Explaining but emphatic words there. Really <laughs> some strong opinions. Yeah. So, GC then, Catalonia, Lopez, Bernal, Quintana. Any indications for the Giro this stage? Still too early? But I think there's some strong indications there now, aren't there? I will, I will take this one, actually. Um, normally, I say that um, it's too early and it means nothing. But actually, at this point, yes, there are some indications. Um, certainly Lopez uh, is, is very strong um, I would take a sock bet that if any I'm, I'm sure none of you neither of you would be brave enough to have a sock bet with me that Quintana won't win it um, I'm fairly convinced that he won't um, obviously Lopez will be very strong um, still remains to be seen nothing remains to be seen until someone actually proves that they can do it whether they are strong enough to do it in a three-week race. Uh, obviously, we've seen that with uh, one Richie Port. Um, so, with, with 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 you know a Yates, Lopez, Bernal, Quintana, uh, Roglic, Dumoulin. Is is this going to be a a stronger field than the Tour de France, possibly? Well, those yeah. are some very aggressive riders there as yeah. well. So it will be. No, no tactical race. I think people just, you know, going for it. Uh, we saw that in, in on the last stage of Catalonia. Uh, people willing to to race in in you know akin to the old style of just you know going for it without making calculations. And then you'll obviously have Tom de Moulin who will be doing that and will probably win <laughs> on that basis. Well, there's also there's some tough climbs this year as well. The Mortarolo's in it again this year. It's, I, I think it's going to be a cracking race. I have to say, I, I, I'm really excited by this year's Giro. I'm, I'm more excited by it than either of the other Grand Tours at this stage. I'd back Bernal. It's not, it's not crazy. Well, it's, it's not crazy. All right, so it's it's going to be between Bernal, Yates. We sure Roglic, Roglic is doing it, isn't he? Roglic, oh, better let you hang on. Big Tom. They're, they're my three then. Yeah, Big Tom. Can't, I know. I still think, I think that's, it's, it's Roglic, Yates and Bernal. They're the podium for me. I'm, I'm not having a podium without Tom Dumoulin on it. Socks? Yes. Well, that's Wait, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. You're from being bold. Uh, sticking by it. Graham. You're, uh, you're, you're, we're here you're, to be bold, Steve. We're... Uh, well, so you're clarifying then. You're having a sock bet that Dumoulin won't be on the podium. Yes. Well, that is bold. Yeah, it is quite bold. Okay, I'll take that bit. Well, I wasn't <laughs> offering it to you. Can I take it anyway? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, I'm that confident. That, oh, uh, fantastic. Yeah. Fine. Uh, excellent. Uh, well, off his bike. How are you going to guarantee this? Because he's been well, tremendous. Well, this is, you know, it's this gambling. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. But well, he has been tremendous. But so has Bernal. Yeah. And and so has Roglic. Yeah. Ultimately, we'll all be winners. I think it will be an exciting race. So you know, if it yeah, can be as exciting as last not, year's, then uh, hopefully great. Yates ha- knows how to not lose 27 minutes on the, yeah. <laughs> the, I mean, the final mountain stage. So let's see. Time will tell. Steve, you've got another story for us, haven't you? Uh, yes, just a quick one. Um, it's about uh, the politics that's, that's of the sport. Straight away. It, well, I guarantee you this won't be a quick one. Yeah, yeah. no, it won't be. That's a lie. Um, I'll, try to, I'll try to make it quick. You guys just go and you know change your shirts and stuff. Uh, no, only that Patrick Lefebvre, team manager of De Kerning Quick Step, obviously, um, has had a bit of a paddy with the UCI and race organisers such as ASO, uh, complaining that they're treating the teams quite poorly um, and that effect- effectively the UCI and ASO are holding back too much of the pie. This is to do with um, refusing to give the teams more of the uh, television rights income and refusing to make any significant change to the pro businesses, uh, pro cycling's business model. Well, we'd agree uh, with that, wouldn't we? I mean, I, that all sounds fair enough to me. Yeah. Well, I think it's clear. Only I know you mentioning this because uh, the business model in cycling has been a stray. It's been strained for a long time now, simply because you know 
they are completely dependent on sponsorship and whenever the sport especially when the sport's been going through some tough times reputationally there's a lot of teams that have either gone out of business or had to scrimp to get by um we see aef education first almost went out of business last season only saved at the last minute even quickstep themselves uh, had to get rid of uh, fernando gaviria um and indeed, Nicky Terpstra last season just to balance the books. Um, and, you know, despite winning 20 races this season, they're only um, just hovering above 20 million a year, 14 million less than Sky. Um, so people can, will complain about uh, sort of one team having a stranglehold on the Grand Tours. But until the business model changes, then... Um, that That's not going away. And also... You know, if there's more, of, if they have more of a stable route, and this is a thing that's going to become increasingly important, they will be able to do what more of the women's, uh, the leaders in the women's sport want them to do, which is have more money to put on televised women's uh, big races, such as a female Tour de France. At the moment, the men's sport is not in sufficient health to even look after its own long-term future, let alone sort of subsidise a women's sport. So. Uh, that's going to run and run and uh, we'll update um, everyone on any developments as the season continues. You know what I think they should do in terms of structure? So I, I, I do think that the there should be a, a greater share, aller to what's happened in, in many other sports and, and football's a very good example of that in, in the UK, that there's a pot of TV money and that goes to uh, various teams get a share of that and there's a central pot as well. But what I think cycling could benefit from is the US system of of drafts so and there's there should be a salary cap um, and also a minimum salary that you help each team meet using the central pot and then uh, riders that are out of contract and riders that are coming uh, from neo pro to pro at the start obviously there's there's a draft system which you know a draft is obviously something that cycling is well known for anyway um, and you know you could, you could have Team Sky going. You know Dan Martin's contract could be up, and maybe is he going to go to Sky? No, they're and and you could actually make a big TV event of it. Who's going to ride for who next year? And I think it would be, I think it'd be compelling, much like the you know the NFL drafts coming up too soon in the US, and that's literally the whole country watches that. I think actually like, they're not this year because oh, it's actually considered to be a poor draft year this year, no, except for the number one choice. However. Uh, to retain on cycling that's a really interesting and bold idea david have you have you just come up with that or have you read that somewhere i like it as well um it's something i've thought about yeah yeah i know it's something you've spoken to hannah about this week as well Stephen. um and obviously while you were reviewing this week's uh women's action well the, there's uh, been a, there's been a packed schedule actually isn't yeah. there? It's, well, it's much much like the men uh, a packed schedule of, of world tour events plus um, of course, the the Dwardo of Landrin today. Yeah. So, do you want to? Uh, should we Should we go to your uh, your interview with Hannah? Your catch up with Hannah. Um, a busy week on the women's world tour, and um, two world tour events, and two two victories for for a certain uh, sprinter, and and two second places. So, uh, do you want to tell us about those? Kicking off with uh, last Thursday's. Steve Dag bruised a panel. I know I've mutilated that, but uh, I'm sure you'll sure you'll correct me. But yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I will correct you with my expert knowledge of pronunciation. Uh, the Dreedas Bruges de Pen was on Thursday. Um, yeah, so Christine Vilt uh, won both of them um, with her very impressive sprint. The weather wasn't as bad for Bruges de Pen as they thought it was going to be. So she won Bruges de Pen and Sunday's Gent-Favorheim. And Gent-Favorheim, yeah. Um, and she sort of came so, from so that's nowhere. That's Gent-Favorheim, like, is it? Favorheim, yeah. Oh, very impressive, yeah. yeah. So she get she... the uh, back of the throat there. Yeah, every day. Well, we're we're very up on pronunciations on on top tube, so um, you know, you're fitting right in here, Great. straight in. Um, but it. yeah, no, that's super impressive from both both sprints. I take it. Yeah, um, Lisa Brenauer uh, piloted her to the front from like 40th 2k back for British Japan. It was really impressive racecraft, uh, and she won it by like a bike length. The weather was much worse for Ghent Vavelheim. It was windier. But and actually, L- Lorena Vibers, who was second place for both the races, was really impressive. She's now um, leading the youth 
GC, which she took from Sofia Bertizzolo this week for these two second places. And I think she's only 19, so she's one to watch for Park Hotel Falkenberg. Um, so, yeah, so, so uh, well, a welcome, repress- uh, welcome return to form from, from revealed there. Um, obviously, he has great pedigree as a sprinter, having finished second in the 2016 World Championships and has a has fantastic record on, on the track. Um, and another race today, the Dwarves Door Vlandron, which I hear had another incident where the men and women's races um, uh, got a bit too close for comfort. Yeah, the, the women's race was running really slow after a crash at the start. Um, and it ended up being that the men's peloton had to be neutralised while they essentially got out of the way. Um, but so this was the men's race. So, oh, so the men's race won by Van der Poel and the women's race won by Ellen van Dijk. Um, yeah. Presumably not at the same time. <laughs> Might as well have been. I mean, moving on into a sort of more serious subject, we've been talking on the pod about... Uh, the women's uh, we've talked about the business model in the men's sport and I know you have some opinions about um, the women's side of things yeah so I mean partly there's this idea that the women need to create their own calendar run events that are entirely separate from the men's um, and make them their own give them a different personality Um, but financially it makes more sense for teams looking for sponsorship exposure to be doing it on the same day as the men's um because the media circus is already set up and there uh i think my main issue is that women aren't given long enough or hard enough races they're not given stage races in the same way that the men are so there's not so much there's literally just not as much to watch i think that needs to change well you're also alluding to the sort of slightly absurd situation where the women in the olympic track program for example are do will do the three kilometer pursuit as opposed to the four kilometer pursuit um could you would you care to share any shed any light on why that might be <laughs> well outside of outrageous institutionalized sexism no i think that's uh, fair enough right there there we go um, we can leave it at that <laughs> yeah I mean, this is an issue we'll, we'll come back to um in future less to say the institutionalized institutionalized sexism um uh, <laughs> Hopefully, uh, but uh, perhaps more um, the issue of you know women's women's event sizes and indeed um, the vex question of of when women are going to get the same level of representation on TV and otherwise as the men. Um, some important races uh, coming up, none more so than the women's Tour de Flanders. Uh, who do you fancy for that? Yeah, I, so on the provisional start lists, Yolian Dor is supposedly coming back after her fractured collarbone that has been the case for the last two races and she hasn't yet come back but I'm really hopeful that she will because if she does I think she's going to be on amazing form um also Chantal Black is back now uh back in form and Anna van der Bregen is uh back from doing Cape Epic with um oh yeah how did she do uh she won it (laughs) She won it, and her partner with was, Annika sorry. Langford because you right, do it okay. in a tag team of two, um, and so yeah, she's obviously going to be on fire. Uh, are you going to give a shout out to Graham's mate Ashley Mullen Paisley? Oh yeah, she's doing great for CCC Live. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Well, fantastic. Uh, well, you'll be back uh, then next week um, to to report on that. Um, thanks very much, Anna. Thanks for having me. Uh, Steve speaking to you, Hannah Alton there. Hannah as uh, ex- tower, as well, yes, um, toweringly uh, good. Yes. Okay. Um, so thank you to Hannah. Um, that's the end of part one. Well, is it? Well, it probably should be. There's a sticky <laughs> subject that we haven't talked about There is. Yet. I know there is a sticky subject, yeah. but I think we should save it for part two. Oh. Welcome to part two. I'm intrigued. Sorry, chaps, I was anxious to get to part two because I want to know what this sticky situation is. Well, uh, does Stephen not know? It is a sticky situation. The stickiest of situations. I am. I am not in the loop on this. <sighs> Steve, the, the it's it's excellent news, and I think you are in the loop actually because yeah. you suggested that we should, it's something we should all commit to doing as well. Oh, that's sticky. Of course, <laughs> oh, I was asking him something completely different. Um, well, this is. 
I'm totally right with you now. And this is splendid, splendid news. In fact, probably the most exciting thing so that's, that's I, ever I, happened, really. Um, I'm on board. David, do you want to tell, tell all? Because Panini, the, you know, the, the joy of our childhood, collecting Panini stickers for football tournaments generally and collecting all our players and doing swapsies, are doing uh, a sticker album for the Tour de France. I mean, it's going to be horrendously expensive. There's going to be five stickers per packet. It'll cost about um, £600 to there, complete there's it. There's going to be so few people that you're going to be able to do swapsies with. But and yet... We will commit to doing swapsies on this podcast and you can swap them with us. Yes, but you... Yes. If you can find a sticker <laughs> album. Yes, if you can find a sticker album, because I'm not even sure they're going to be sold in the UK. We're going to get them but anyway. we're going to find a way you, you, <laughs> brexit has been delayed we hope long enough <laughs> hopefully yeah, we we'll still have access 700 years <laughs> and all well stephen said he won't collect them if a yan or it's not a shiny however oh um, classic nini stickers maybe that should be a thing uh, i mean well, no this raises many questions actually um i'm just gonna detail some of them i mean first of all we've all committed <laughs> to uh sourcing these They've promised, they, there's no guarantee they're going to do it outside of France yet. But obviously, if you think about it, cycling is a really healthy state if they think that they can uh, make it cost effective to do it in Britain, because they have to imagine there's a minimum number of people actually willing to turn up at a news agent or whatever and ask for them. Um, but, you know, um, as you've just said, if we can get other people listeners to to um, do some swapsies with us, that would be really important, because otherwise it's just going to be the three of us. And, and we'll both have the equivalent of the bottom half of Chris Kawamia, um, <laughs> like 59 times. Be the equivalent of the bottom half of Chris Kawamia these days. I mean, that's no, maybe. Yes, that's, that's my next question. What, <laughs> what, is, what, and what will the shinies be? Will they be, will they be team logos? Bernie Eisel's left <laughs> thigh, yeah. <laughs> so, Mark, yeah, key, key yeah, Renshaw's foot. Yeah, um, and they're both fine riders, and I will be... Yes, indeed. Say, boys, um, we'll, we'll see what we can do there. But let's let's hope that. Let's well, hope for sure, update on what turns call, out to be the equivalent to, of, of the bottom half of Chris Kawamia, for sure. Our call to Panini to please, please, please make the sticker album and stickers available in the UK. Uh, you will sell at least three albums, and um, yeah, I think we can probably commit to buying at least a hundred packs each. <laughs> um, so. I mean, if it's anything, my my time collecting the football equivalent is anything to go by, then I am prepared to plunge myself into quite serious debt. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you think we should also we should also commit at this stage to not turning the podcast into essentially appeals for um, <laughs> Garrett Thomas's legs? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> maybe there should be some sort of forfeit for the person that completes their album the last. Absolutely, um, David. What else are we doing? Uh, I'm commiserating with, uh, I think it's worth bringing up a tiny bit of news, really. But did you read that uh, both Dan Martin and Roman Bardet, while they were lost cr- their thrown on the ground, oh. crashing during a race, had their, well, um, their Dan Martin meter. had his uh, Garmin stolen and, and Bardet had his, he said, his power meter stolen, mm. which is extraordinary. And first of all, quite ballsy for whoever did it. Although I, I will say that once I had a, a moped accident in Camberwell in London and uh, as I was rolling across the ground because a bus pulled out on me and it was wet and I was only about 30 miles an hour. A wet a bus pulled out on you? The bus was wet, it didn't indicate, pulled out on me. I hit, hit the brake, I went one way, the bike went the other. I was wearing a full face helmet, otherwise my chin would have been rearranged. I landed chin first. And uh, I kind of looked up and this guy was trying to pick up my moped and, and take it away. And some kids from, from Campbell chased him away um, and, and, and helped uh, me fix it. But just the opportunism, opportunism to actually see someone. The shameless trying, opportunism. Yeah, to actually see to, someone, especially a cyclist who is really helpless because they've not got the protection I had or anything. It's not a situation where they're in a race with lots of people watching. And you would actually, yeah. Well, I guess the thinking there would be that they can afford it. They're professionals. Yeah, maybe. Whereas, they chuck beadons away. How about I just nick this eight hundred pound Garmin as well? Mm. Um, so I thought that your crash was in Wiltshire, David. Was it in Camberwell? It was in Camberwell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I then gave away my uh, moped and paid for two months' rent with it. Yeah. Mm, too sensible. Yeah. yeah. Can I tell a story about a uh, motorist that happened to no. me um, last week? Yes, please do. Yes, well, was... Again, punchline. I'm going to be very <laughs> upset. No, no. I can I sandwich one in there. Uh, but no, I mean, I'll just wait for David to repeat that next week. Um, 
it's just seeing blessing. Uh, so yes, I was walking uh, my new mountain business along a road, as is my once I should have been cycling, um, when a motorist, um, if you can believe that, um, on a road, a motorist uh, was came up the hill pushing uh, some kind of saloon vehicle. Uh, his uh, wife or girlfriend or lady friend was was steering the car. He asked me, where's the nearest garage? I had passed one three minutes back. So I said, gestured vaguely down there. Um, and he said, can I help him push the car? Yeah, so um, I said, sure. And and crossed a very busy road, managed not to get run over and and gravitated to the back of the vehicle. Now he was pushing the dry, the passenger side door. And I started pushing and I thought, God, this is this is slow, isn't it? Um, so I said to him, do you mind if we speed up a bit? I am in a bit of a hurry. So I started building to a run and which forced him to run. And he didn't look in magnificent shape, but he was quite heavily built. But he could have done a bit more work in terms of the pushing. However, I, I thought I shouted at him. Uh, You're com- are you comfortable with this pace? And 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 without responding, as I'd broken into a full run at this point, uh, we were moving along fairly quickly and just caught the top of a slight downhill gradient. And instead of responding, he just stood on the floor of the car and just took a ride. And then I didn't know what to do. I was a bit flabbergasted. So I just ended up speeding up and running with all my, you know, putting my, my heart into it uh, behind this car for a, a minute, me just pushing the car and him taking a ride. And then we went, down a, a bit of a steeper hill and the car started to get away from me and we saw the garage coming into view and he simply turned around and said oh the garage is here now cheers and, and that was <laughs> that and 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 i had i checked my gps um and i'd run fully half a mile out of my way in the opposite direction and the only thanks i got was a was a was a vague cheers and i thought that's why that's why you shouldn't try to help people <laughs> that's the moral of that story also ride a bike then that doesn't happen i guess yeah. um uh well that's nice good that you were strong enough to do that i'm surprised are you sure did you have to go to intensive care after that no, i was just i was just a bit i was just a bit i felt like i'd been violated um steve before you went to the other thing you did before you went to flanders apart from uh help some ungrateful chap get his car to the nearest garage uh, was you met with the, uh, the the first local cycling club that we're going to feature on the podcast, haven't you? Uh, yes, I did indeed. Um, the Royal Leamington Spa Cycling Club. So, David, tell us a little bit about uh, this new feature, because we're, we're, we're all for new features. There, um, there's a vibrant and increasingly vibrant amateur scene in the UK, and uh, we want to cover that and, and let people really know what's out there, what they can expect if they're looking to get into cycling or, or join a club. And also give give clubs a chance to talk about themselves and, and what makes them great, because every club has its own nuances. And also, a little bit, it's going to help inform me and Graham join a club in the future, because we know next to nothing. We know a lot about cycling, but very little about cycling clubs. And very only, little about the club scene, don't we? And only one of us does. So Stephen is going to conduct a series of interviews over the next year with uh, cycling clubs from around the UK and elsewhere and build a picture of the UK cycling scene. Um, so we put a little message out to a couple um, on uh, Facebook and we selected the first one that got back to us, actually, which was uh, a, a quite a few um and that was the royal Leamington spa club and uh stephen interviewed them but Stephen, before we we go to that i thought you can tell us what we need to do really why why we should join a cycling club well first of all i would suggest that you know there's not a, a newly vibrant and thriving club atmosphere in britain there's always been clubs and they've always been the the bedrock of, of cycling in, the, in this country and uh, will continue to be but um yeah, I, th- I certainly think participation in the last, obviously, 15, 10 to 15 years has shot up. And you're seeing a lot of people get involved in not just road, but, you know, mountain biking and cyclocross that otherwise wouldn't. And uh, clubs are having to adapt and grow and cater to that increased need and, you know, take on people who, you know, have various levels of abilities and uh, help them develop. So uh, we touched on a few of these issues. So um, welcome to uh, Martin and Dennis from Royal Leamington Spa Cycling Club. Uh, chap, what, what bikes are you actually riding on these days? Um, well, th- so this is Martin. Hello. Um, good to speak to you. I've, I've got a 
broad mix of bikes. Um, I joined Royal Leamington Spa Cycling Club with two and have now somehow ended up with six. Summer and winter road bikes, uh, a couple of mountain bikes, uh, a TT bike and um, lurking in the garage waiting for um, the right moment is, is a new cyclocross bike. Right, so Martin, have you been uh, following the N plus one rule in terms of bicycle acquisition? Uh, it's the only rule to follow, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, N plus one is the correct number of uh, bikes to own is is um, the number of bikes you already own plus one. Um, and that's that's I'm sure contributed to uh, many uh, relationship problems over the years. But um, Martin and Dennis, whoever wants to take this uh, question first, just give us an overview then of, of who your club is and who it caters for and uh, what it's like uh, riding in your area. So um, this is Dennis. Um, and I think I think we're one of the few clubs in the area that really does have a sort of ride for everyone. We've got mountain bike rides, um, road rides, both for beginners and more experienced riders on both counts, um, as well as Martin runs a lot of the time trials during the summer. And there is an academy part to the club as well that helps to bring young riders along. So we kind of cater a bit for everyone. Um, the only thing we don't really do 100% is have a super high performance team. Um, we have some really fast riders and some hard rides and stuff, but it, I think that's, is that fair, Martin? No, I, th I, I think it is, um, albeit that we have had um, some members of our club have gone on from doing, um, for the sake of argument, um, time trials or triathlon with us, uh, who've gone on to become sponsored riders with local clubs or with um, some of the more established teams in our area. So we have been a stepping stone for, for riders to further their uh, their aspirations competitively um, and so actually this isn't just road riding is it you you actually do mountain biking and cyclocross in both the summer and the winter the club established itself as a mountain bike club and moved into road and that has sort of driven a lot of our ethos but also we have this this um, unofficial motto of come one come all so if you turn up and you want to start doing I don't know downhill unicycling and you can get a group of people together who are interested in downhill unicycling, then by, we'll support you to go off and do that and uh, and build a following with it. So that's the sort of the ethos that we, we run with the club. Yeah. And is, well, key question, though, is there a big market for downhill unicycling? I, I, I think I think it's a niche sector, if we're honest. Um, you know. growing and something you're, you're trying to pioneer. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we need more Strava segments on that basis, don't we? But um, yeah, get a critical mass of downhill unicyclers. Um, so as well as uh, the local area, what um, are some of your favourite races um, or sportives or climb that you've done either in the UK or internationally in the last couple of years as a club? Um, I, I think one of the things that we have got quite a core group of people who like the, the closed road sportive. So... We have you know, fairly well-organised groups going out to you know, Ride London, Tour of Cambridge. Um, sadly, the now-demised uh, Velathon Wales was a real favourite with our club riders. Um, it was um, everyone has their own um, carefully mountain story to um, relate. It comes towards the end of Velathon Wales, and because it's a closed roads event, you've been going fairly well up until then, and it, it, and it comes in at about 76 miles in or something, and is a brutal climb. Um, and so um, it has, <laughs> it generally has you chewing on your handlebars from about a third of the way up. So sort of moving on then, um, cycling I'm sure we'd all agree, changed a lot in the last uh, 20 years. Martin, you've been a long-time member of, of the club. How have you seen the club change in, in that time? And how, what changes have you perceived in, in cycling generally? Um, I, I think one of the things that has, for us as a club has been really good is that we are seeing more women riding with us now. Um, we have, I think, on virtually every ride that we do um we can guarantee um some some women coming along with us which are, which is i think has been helped also by the fact that the women's tour um, passes through warwickshire now and so that's given us a bit of a, a leverage to promote that within the club so that's been one of the things that we've and us that we've been really proud to support is you know using the women's tour to promote women cycling um 
I think one of the things that I've noticed um, most uh, most recently um, through the winters now is that in winter um, everyone seems to be migrating towards disc brakes on their road bikes. Um, I'm still of one of those who've stuck out um, with clinchers and uh, and I now notice that my braking is about the worst of the group on a Saturday morning. How, how has that affected your group rides if you have a mix of some people on, on obviously rim brakes and some on uh, discs? So obviously the stopping time for discs is a lot quicker so you suddenly get people stopping unexpectedly fast in front of you. Um, well, yes, as I say, as, as one of the Luddites who is still running on, on clinches, is that particularly on a wet ride, um, I now find that I will position myself in a way that I know that I can, I'm not going to run into the back of people. So um, I'll sort of position myself on sort of the outside of the group. Um, and so as everybody breaks, um, I go whistling past. What would you sort of couch as the biggest challenges facing your club at the moment and over the next couple of years? And sort of the sport generally as it adapts to new technology but you mentioned earlier sort of trying to get a wider array of people and and you know promote the women's sport particularly um certainly personally um i would like to um try and help steer the club steer um our club um towards being more inclusive is that the reality is is that a lot of our riders are white middle class men um and you know breaking down some of those perceptions that you need to have a two thousand pound bike and you need to spend you know another 300 pounds on castelli kit and goodness knows what um whereas the reality is is that you know you should just be able to pump up your tires roll the bike out of the shed and and go and enjoy cycling you know you don't need to spend thousands and thousands of pounds to to enjoy the sport i would like to see you know more effort to uh, to make it a more inclusive, uh, a more inclusive activity, a more inclusive hobby. Yeah, I mean, I think um, from my experience of, of doing a lot of riding in Richmond Park in West London, it's it it's very focused on you know can be fo- too focused on aesthetics and and you know dread to use the word posers, but but I think for more I mean, well-established clubs, perhaps there's there's more of the attitude of you know let's just as you say get people out riding. And, you know, I take it that you very much kind of would look down on anyone who's more interested in what their kit looks like than, than say, having the right etiquette on a ride. Yeah, I, uh, to be honest, we're, we are a friendly club so and people recognise that. So if you do turn out um, uh, kitted out like um, Brad, Bradley Wiggins, then you can expect to get a little bit of um, Mickey taking. Or be expected um, to back it up, I suppose. But I think it's just a question of, we have rides for everyone and you are going to get on the fast rides a lot of people turning up like that they're interested in it but the club does have a lot um a lot of beginner rides that you know it's really important for people to know you can come to a club regardless of your level regardless of your kit as you say and i think we cater quite well for it with our beginner rides i mean it's it's a it's a, for for us it's a it's a hot it's a hot button issue i am i on our rides i'm quite focused on on looking decent it has to be said but i'd like all of us to be a bit faster at the same time um and 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 on that note then one of the most uh, divisive questions on on top tube is uh to shave your legs or not to shave your legs um what what's the clubs does the club have an official position on this on this highly important issue martin what, you kind of deal with the time trialers don't you so yeah well, well and that's probably the case in point actually is that um uh, Tomorrow night, in fact, this time tomorrow night, I shall be um, limbering up, ready to start the first time trial of the season. And um, on, a, on my first ride in shorts um, last weekend, um, somebody commented on the hairiness of my legs um, over the winter when they've been covered up under tights. And um, I've suddenly got a realisation that I've got to do something this evening <laughs> to, <laughs> to sort out my, uh, my winter fur. I think the main thing is is that if you are uh, if you do shave your legs, then you do at least need to show um, some talent to back it up. To yeah, I kind it. of agree with that because <laughs> I ride like a heathen with unshaved legs all year round. On on that on on that note, then and, and the last question um, within the club, what uh, really what really tends to divide opinion, and what are both of your pet peeves? I'll come to you first, Martin. Um, 
I think the there is a there is a friendly rivalry in the club between um, the the roadies and the mountain bikers, and then the um, the cyclocrossers, who seem to be a, a breed apart from from everybody else. Um, and I say that in the friendliest sense of the word. Um, but equally, my 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 pet peeve at the moment is um, is if you're out on a group ride, is cars that are slow overtaking. Um, you know. I don't mind cars going herring past me at 70 mile an hour because they get out of the way and they're done and dusted and you don't have to worry about it. It's the people in the Nissan Micros who come past at like 27 miles an hour and take five minutes to overtake you um, and cause chaos in their uh, in their slipstream. Um, that, that's my pet peeve at the moment. Well, that you sort of um, so you allude to a, a perennial issue there, sort of cyclists versus motorists. Um, I mean... From my experience again of Richmond Park, uh, there's a there's a speed limit for cars, but you can often get in a situation where a cyclists end up banging on the back of cars to tell them to hurry up. And you know, do you sort of have a culture in the club of promoting, you know, don't rise to it, always try to, you know, get on and 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 sort of try not to contribute to that tension between the club and road users. Is that an important thing? Uh, I would say yes and no, but um, we've got a few members who ride with with GoPros, uh, and we have um, over the winter we've taken advantage of a scheme run by Warwickshire County Council where you can submit your GoPro footage, and that has helped us actually secure a conviction against um, against a van driver who was um, uh, who ran one of our guys off the road. Um, I wouldn't like to say that's a common occurrence across Warwickshire. For anyone flank thinking of visiting um it was a, a thankfully a relatively rare event but um no it, it's um i think you have to kind of take it in the round um you know yeah. you, you you accept that you get beeped at on every ride um but if somebody has has been particularly inconsiderate or particularly dangerous um then yeah then we're prepared to um to use the law yeah yeah fair enough i mean i ultimately a cyclist is the one that's vulnerable aren't they so Dennis how about your pet peeves yeah I think um pet peeve is probably not seeing all the holes because after the winter we've got a bit of rough roads around the area and on a group ride sometimes you can't see it and it's just uh if people miss them and miss the call sometimes people will call but you're sitting in the wrong place on the, and it's just getting smacking a hole at full speed just doesn't feel pleasant and it's not really anyone's fault but that's probably the most frustrating thing. Yeah, can can we lobby as 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 a group? Um, can cyclists lobby councils to do anything about this? Unfortunately, I think the road budget is um, pretty stretched. Although um, the chancellor announced 400 million for roads, I think the actual deficit is is in the billions at this point. Um, so is it essentially a case of just having really good communication in in the, on group rides to make sure everyone's aware? Yeah, so I think we start group rides with having a bit of a chat about it especially the fast ones and making sure we ask people to call but in particular for us at the moment the issue is we've got hs2 work going on so we do have a lot of heavy vehicles starting to pass through um, a lot of the routes and that's not helped i don't think but uh, it's just being aware because especially if it's a route you're used to and you think you know it but then because of the heavier traffic you just got to be a bit switched on but yeah um yeah i think you're right that it's hard to actually get a very big shift in movement from the government right now uh well they have enough to be going on with 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 other issues at the moment um so finally then uh how how can people who are interested in riding with the club get in touch um well we we have a we have a website um so if you use your favorite search engine um is and type in royal Leamington spa cycling club or rlscc um that will pop up and likewise we're very active on facebook and twitter um so if you subscribe to any of those, um, you can find out what's going on in the club and how to join. Um, and we're British Cycling affiliated. So, again, uh, searching through British Cycling, um, you'll find our membership page. Right, fantastic. Presumably you do sort of regular introductory, you know, you have one ride a week where newbies, sort of new, new riders can come along. And see what yeah. It's like. yeah. So. It does depend a bit on your level, but the way we, we say at the club is you're more than welcome. Um, so if you move from a different area, you don't necessarily have to come to a new ride, but 
people are more than welcome to come to a few rides to try riding with the club before we ask them to get membership to get a feel for it see if they like it um and on the road we're just about to start up our friday night beginner rides i think mountain bikers do beginner rides on a wednesday so wednesday nights so yeah try and get that right and there's no pressure as we've already discussed to uh, shave your legs everyone so uh, get get involved um, so big thank you to Martin and Dennis there for taking the time to chat to Steve about the Royal Leamington Spa Cycling Club. Um, Dan Martin and Rohan Dennis. Sure. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> maybe one day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. Could be. I'm looking forward to uh, the inaugural uh, downhill unicycling um, event. And I think we should cover it. Sure. Keen yeah. to be there. Why yeah. not? I mean, it will have no crashes. All over our Instagram. Yeah. Um, we're going to have to stage it near... Um, a an emergency services facility. Yeah. Indeed. Well, it's fine. We don't need to do that. We'll just make everyone sign a disclaimer beforehand. Yeah. Lads, shall we make the calculation? Let's. I'm very. Do, do I have to? Because I did it really badly yeah. last year. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, mate. We've all got to make the calculation. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Uh, the Tour of Flanders. Then, um, what characterises the Tour of Flanders, Steve? Now, I remember you were talking about this. I remember Tour of Flanders was one of the, I think, the first one-day races you ever described to me when we were younger and I knew nothing about um, cycling one-day races. I just knew about Grand Tours, like anyone growing up in, in Britain in the 90s. Uh, so uh, well, what characterises this race? Uh, well, it is in the race that I historically have always held up as, as life outside of the Tour de France. And for me, I would suggest, as much as I'm a huge fan of Paris-Roubaix and indeed the Tour de France and the other Grand Tours, um, it is my favourite race of the year. Uh, so this weekend's race and defending champ Nicky Terpstra of uh, Direct Energy, of course, um, on the start line, along with Peter Sagan. I mean, you can't look much further than de Kernink, presumably chaps. So we've got Philippe Gilbert, uh, Yves Lampert, um, Bob Jungles, impressive today. When, um, when, and, and Steve R, who, uh, my man, my man well, Steve. If back. I may interject, um, Steve R, not a bad choice, obviously. However, I mean, only a fool would dismiss him. However, uh, um, the Tour of Flanders, the route changes from time to time. Currently, it is a race defined by the existence of the Paterberg climb, which comes, I think, about 15, 10, 15 kilometres from the finish and is the theatre and has been in the last couple of years for the final battle. I well remember Sagan and Cancellara coming to the foot of that um, side by side and Cancellara eking out in a sort of really titanic kind of um, some slow motion kind of he's, you know, Sagan's he's slipping off. He's giving he's giving in. She's giving a foot and and Cancellara taking, you know, the matter of. 10 yards at the top and it was able to make that enough to time trial the rest of the way into the finish um and that's often the climb at the moment on today's in in the current route that defines um the race uh so you're really looking at someone who can really power up that climb and obviously a steebar or well obviously sagan will will be will be there or thereabouts um someone who is able to also go strongly into the finish. Um, if they have passengers, as as some of them have in the past, it becomes a bit more tactical, but often you find that one guy is there alone at that point and, and will finish it off. Um, so I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I'm brave enough to go against a Koenig again this time, but I keep uh, going back to Sagan. So I'm going to, um, I don't know what his current form is, but I, you just can't overlook him. He's won this race before. Um, I think he's going to be pretty hungry. So Steve going for Peter Sagan, David, make the calculation for us. Making the calculation. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I have been so hugely impressed with, uh, Wout Van Aert this year. So, and he's also rested today. So, uh, he, um, will have that freshness in his legs i hope and he was so i i actually think he was the strongest rider uh at the weekend in gent Wevelgem. he had he had more attacks than Rowe, but it just wasn't the type of um profile for him to win it and on this type of profile i i think he's in better form than either van arvermaet or sagan 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 peter <laughs> Him. Yes. Look, anyway, Wild Van Aert's going to win it. The Slovakian <laughs> champion. Yeah. I am going to go for 
Oli Nason, Aji Tuar and Mondial. Um, GVA, perhaps he's shown a little, a little um, but I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with Nason. Um, and also get it. So none of us are picking a De Koenig rider. Um, Stebar has the strength to, to make those climbs for sure. But um, I think that Sagan, if he's got form, will want it too much. And, and those Hellingen are the venue where Sagan, you know, it's a bit of an attritional race. And I think he has a good tactical nous. And I think he'll be able to get a gap there. And you've got the experience to make it to, uh, you know, send it home. I think Luke Rowe might be up there as well, even though he seemed to burn a match trying to get across to the front, the front group at uh, Dwardor Vlanderen today. Uh, I think I feel like we've got to make because because Sky have barely well Kiyakowski came close at San Remo, but apart from that, Sky haven't really. Uh, Dool went off um, in search of uh, Bob Jungles, didn't he? Yeah. At Kerner, uh, Brussels Kerner. We'd have had to do it alone and take um, Lampert with him, which yeah. I do. So, so is he your out? Is he your dark horse? Then he's my dark horse. Dark I'm horse, kind you? Of darkish horse, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, who is my dark horse for this race? I am gonna go with Betiol because EF didn't let me down last time. I went for them as a dark horse. So, nice. Um, and Betiol has shown that he's yeah. got the the mustard. Ahead of a couple of weeks ahead of it, I'm gonna say right now. We had a discussion about this earlier, but Tate. Taylor, <laughs> Taylor Finney is my uh, is my outside dark horse my for... dark horse for Paris Bay. Nice. Well, I'm gonna keep my powder dry on Rebay for the time being. Steve, give us your dark horse for Tour of Flanders. Um, as well. Well, uh, well how light? dark do you want to go here? Black I'll be Beauty. thinking. Black <laughs> Beauty. Um, um, I don't know. Um, no, I'm gonna fair on that just because uh, my confidence is not high after last week's debut. all right we don't want to knock it any further do we i'm also going to go for mariana voss to win the uh the women's race to ccc live is your is your friend riding she will ash ash will be riding yeah ashley mormon passio but she i think well i know because i spoke to her about it at the weekend but um obviously things can change mm. on the course uh, but at the moment, even though Ash has got a good sprint, she is she's working for Mariana. Um, she's pulling for Mariana, and and she will be looking to hit form further towards the Tour of California. Um, well, boys, that brings us to the end of this week's podcast. Thank you for joining us, Steve. Thank you for dialing in from the tour, from uh, sorry, not the Tour of Flanders, from Flanders itself. Have you had well, many? If I make the Tour of Flanders, then obviously apologies to Ashley. Um, if I manage to decapitate her, um, just ask her to look where she's going. Well, yeah, well, don't worry, she will. She's a lot more clued up than you. Yeah, I don't doubt that. For What's been well, I think so everyone is the uh, chocolate or the waffles or the beer most so far? Combination all three, maybe. For me, waffles for sure. I'll bring you back some green. Please, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you bring me back some beer. Okay. And some chocolate. I'll bring you back all of it. I'll bring you back. We'll, 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 tell, we'll tell everyone all about it on next week's podcast. Um, from from me, Graham Wilgos. Stephen, from you in, in Flanders. Salut. David. You've been wonderful. Good night from him. Jess, David Jessica Ennis. Good, Good night. night.